Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Good morning, peeps, and welcome to Woke AF Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, recording from the bunker. Folks, we have a very special Woke AF Pride episode today. I am really excited for you all to hear the voice and see the face of my producer, Andrew Marcello, who has been the producer for Woke AF for the last five years and is the reason why the show is as great as it is. And so on today's episode for our Pride Month special, we get into a conversation about what young queer people are thinking with regard to their feelings around pride, but also for Andrew, you know, how his identity has shaped his political views and narrative and thinking about what the pushback and violent pushback at that, that the LGBTQ community is experiencing at this time, what this means for the future. So we're going to get into this conversation and so much more today on Woke AF. I will give you my thoughts on the hearing which has, as of the taping of this, has not yet happened. So I will be doing that later in the week. But coming up next, my conversation with Woke AF producer, Andrew Marcello. Folks, I am very excited about today's episode because we're actually peeling back the Woke AF uh, curtain and having a conversation with Andrew Marcello, my producer, who's been the producer of Woke AF, my God, for I don't actually know how long, Andrew, <laughs> how well, long it has five been. Years? I think, it's I been, think legitimately it's almost five years. Is it legitimately five years? Um, and Andrew is the person that has makes this show uh, magic, makes it sound good, makes it um, brings in the guests that you all enjoy. And so during this pride, we decided to have a conversation, um, that we probably have over text, uh, a million times and actually take the text conversation to the podcast. So Andrew, 
we'll start out the way that we have with the last several guests that we've had on this show. Uh, our theme this month has been Pride is a Riot. Um, what does Pride mean to you? What does that theme mean to you? That's actually um, a great question. Now I understand why people say that so often when they answer <laughs> <you>. <laughs> Um, But yeah, it's what does pride mean to me? I think so you you started off mentioning um, my identity and, and I am pansexual and I realized that I was pansexual, I think, when I was 18. Um, but pride actually wasn't really something that I thought about until my adult life uh, after I graduated college, a few years after I graduated college, actually, probably around 2016 or 2017, when I moved to New York from living in New Jersey and sort of living in the same environment that I had lived in before going to college. Um, I think part of that is that my immediate family didn't necessarily recognize my sexuality. They were kind of just like in denial about it. Mm -hmm. um, and rather than like push back against that harder and have that make me feel like, oh, I'm going to be really loud about it. I was just like, OK, you know, you'll you'll deny me and I'll find like other outlets and other ways to express this. But once I moved to New York and once I was in a partnership and environment where I felt more like I could, you know, be outwardly myself, um, pride to some to some extent at the beginning, I was almost envious of people who, to me as an outside observer, they had already gotten to where I wanted to be. Like mm -hmm. I saw um, not just like the NYC Pride Parade, but um, the the Unicorn Parade in Brooklyn. Like that was something that I looked at as like, wow, that's incredible that like these people can go out there and just like be themselves and celebrate themselves uh, in a way that I do not feel comfortable with. And so when I think about Pride, I think about that journey that it took me to get from like because as myself, I am a, a cis white man because I'm pansexual. I date, I can, you know, date and be with people of all genders. And I do end up in relationships with cis women that, you know, from the outside, it looks like, okay, we could both be straight. That's often not the case, but outside observers don't know. So I can be like straight passing. And so to me, to sum up, pride is rejecting that and rejecting the idea of being straight passing and like, being loud and proud about the fact that I am pansexual and I'm existing in in my life in this way, even when you're not perceiving me that way. You know, I think that there are some people who may have heard of the term pansexual and that may have come into the lexicon because of a couple of celebrities, Janelle Monet being one of them who came out as pansexual a couple of years ago. Can you explain to the audience who may not be familiar with all of, with all of the terms, what does panse what does the pansexual identity mean to you and how did you come to understand this about yourself? Sure. Um, one thing I will say, since you mentioned Janelle Monet, I think mm -hmm. it's great that Janelle Monet had this music video a few years ago that like, you know, bisexual lighting is now a term that gets used a lot because the bisexual flag is just like very aesthetically appealing colors. And a lot of art, either on purpose or by accident, uses the color scheme of the bisexual flag. But I believe with her, it was very purposeful given the content that she was putting out there. But now she identifies publicly as pansexual. And so I think that's an indication that like, there is crossover in those identities, but they're not the same. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, a person who identifies as, as bi one year, you know, might realize that pan fits better for them or vice versa. Um, and so, you know, just because 
to introduce my answer, I'm just thinking about the fact that unfortunately there is some friction between uh, prescriptivists when it comes to language. And I do think they are distinct, but at the same time, it's okay for a person who's pan to realize that they're bi and then later realize that maybe they were incorrect and they have been pan all along. Um, And those things happen with all kinds of different identities. I know, you know, people who they started their life like most people probably indoctrinated into heteropatriarchy thinking they're straight and then you know, this just as an example, this person then thought they were a lesbian and then they thought they were a straight trans man and then they thought they were a gay trans man. And so, like, that's an example. But, you know, through life, sexuality is fluid is a term mm-hmm. that gets used a lot. But like through life, that is something that's true. And to segue, I think for myself, pansexuality is a state of fluidity. It's this state of like, I'm not rigidly attracted to any gender category for some people i think they use it or interpret it as uh gender doesn't matter to me or i don't perceive gender um however you know whoever is pansexual and however it applies to them that's valid to me what it means is like of course i perceive your gender but i'm attracted to you irrespective of your gender i'm attracted to a lot of people use the term hearts not parts which is kind of cringy and i'm not endorsing it but the message <laughs> I see your face <laughs> but the like, message of it is like you know you understand the meaning of right, it i yes. do think it's cringy but like the idea you're falling is in like, love with a person the person right? right not you know not what they are either you know ascribed to or assigned or in any way um that has to do with with their physicality right i'll mm-hmm. say that i'll say exactly that. exactly it goes beyond gender it's all it's gender to the physical form. I'm glad you understand that. Yeah. You know, so I I think that what is really, what I find really interesting now, and there have been like a couple of studies that have been done recently with younger people. And I want to say younger, and I mean like 30 and below, um, Mm. where people are more so choosing to identify themselves as either pansexual, um, non-binary, in a more uh, outside of the, these prescribed box place. What do you mm-hmm. think that it is that has, because society in general, I, I mean, for queer people, particularly trans people has become a lot more unsafe, um, has become a lot more violent. So what do you think, you know, just on your, your own ideas and in your own community, what do you think has people now ascribe themselves to be more outside of the box than before? What I perceive or have perceived um, among my generation and sort of my generational peers, I guess, it's hard to speak for a whole generation, but like my generational peers who are sort of in my narrow five-year age group, I would say, and, you know, within the more left-wing queer or at least queer-friendly group, I think there's been a transformation in how we understand gender, sex, sexuality. Um, For me, a lot of that just came from being exposed to more different kinds of people. I also had the privilege of having a college education that did include, I went to a Catholic university and we had um, probably a Title IX mandated women and gender studies department. And it was like one class every semester to keep that department rolling. And you bet I took at whatever class one class was being offered that semester. Um, But even beyond that, 
I was on, I was thinking about this earlier before we talked. I was on Tumblr and at the time, like at the turn of the 2010s, Tumblr was it. Tumblr was the place mm. to be. And there, sure, there was misinformation and misunderstanding on Tumblr, but at the same time, it exposed people and especially younger people and people who were becoming young adults around the same time that I was to these ideas that like, some people would radically explain it as gender does not exist. Some people would in a more nuanced way explain gender is a social construct and explain mm -hmm. how. Um, I'm not there to explain those things. If you're not aware of those things, there's a lot of more intelligent and informed people than I am to explain those very detailed concepts if you're not familiar. But dear listener, if you are aware <laughs> and familiar with the idea of gender being a social construct, um, and even the fact that I can say that, right? Do you, like, do you think I wasn't an adult at the time, but like, if you think back to like the mid 2000s yeah. or before the, uh, the concept of gender being a social construct, did that exist within the general public consciousness? No, it, it honestly didn't. I don't even think, I think that in general, um, we were still trying to wrap our minds around what it meant to be trans, right? So, mm. so, oh, sure. So, I watched right, Comedy Central, right? So it was, it was really that as being, and as a person that has been in movement, LGBTQ movement politics for a long time, even being trans and having those conversations was divergent to the rest of the LGB uh, community, mm -hmm. right? Who's who at that time was really just focused on marriage equality. So you want to talk about gender as a, we're, we're trying to at that time assimilate to be accepted to then be mm -hmm. able to pass. So no, I think that there has been, there is there, we've let go of the boxes in that way over the past very short time of 10, you know, 10, 15 years to have these conversations that are part of uh, national discourse as opposed to just community based. Yeah. And I think one thing too, as you were talking, I was thinking of, I think something that sort of that social uprising fed into, and then at the same time that legal validation fed into the social strata is the, um, Supreme court decision to officially recognize same sex marriage and the validity of it as marriage, not unions or whatever. And I, I completely recognize that in the very long journey, activists were fighting for civil unions as a strategic move. I know a lot of people who were in civil unions who called themselves married because to them they were, mm -hmm. and that was the way that they could get it legally recognized. And it's great for me, for a young person, like, what was that, 2013? So I was like mm -hmm. 2021 when that was passed. And that was 2015. That there yep. was, Mm -hmm. 2015. Oh, it was okay. Mm -hmm. A little later than I thought, but still that was, there was a lot of agitation. And I think the agitation got louder when younger people started to become voting age and the Obama administration getting voted in was very catalyzing for both young people who voted for him and people who didn't, who saw that, that I hate to call it this, but like all, all good elections are run on like marketing campaigns. Right. And like, mm -hmm with the benefit of hindsight, like hope and change was kind of, it was a little bit more of a marketing campaign than it was a mm -hmm. promise. <laughs> but we bought into it. I, I don't, and he I won. agree. Right. He won. So mm -hmm. we, there was like this optimism, even of people who maybe didn't get a chance to vote for him, that like there was hope and there was hope for change. And even when President Obama was saying, I don't think we can do gay marriage. I don't yep. think we can legalize. I don't believe in, even he was saying at the beginning. And then of all people, Joe, Joe Biden, Biden. oopsied, 
mm-hmm. that he was turning around, which we'll never know. Maybe we will find out one day, but like we'll never know whether that was a strategic move to right. push him in that direction. Right. Or it was really just like an, you know, Uncle Joe oopsie. But either way, that was astronomical. Both the administration pushing for it, that itself was a big social step, but then it being validated by the Supreme Court. I think that opened all kinds of doors that now we're seeing, unfortunately, awful pushback against. Hey, I'm David Plotz of Slate's Political Gab Fest. As another election season accelerates, it can be tricky to sort through all the noise in the news. Each week on the Gab Fest, John Dickerson, Emily Bazelon, and I decipher the headlines, break down the races, and tell you what issues really matter. We do not always agree. We definitely do not always agree. But we always deliver thoughtful debate, and we always have a good time. So subscribe to Slate's Political Gap Fest. New episodes every Thursday. The Damage Report with John Idarola is one of the most popular shows on the TYT network that serves as your daily breakdown of the genuine threats and challenges facing our country and world. These days, we're confronted with an overwhelming sea of shocking, confounding, and devastating news stories. The Damage Report is your life raft, helping you navigate the day's news and understand the damage caused by the corrupt establishment, politicians, corporations, and everything in between. Join the Damage Report's notorious fan club, The Dragon Squad, where you become part of a fantastic community of progressives. Create a fun dragon nickname that fits your personality, collaborate, and participate in fun activities like voting for, the garbage person of the week, and much more. Listen to The Damage Report on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. So that's it. And I, and I'm so glad that you made that correlation because that's actually, you know, I have been thinking about for the last couple of, for the last couple of weeks, really, as we're in pride month and talking to a lot of different folks is that, you know, you sent me a message yesterday that was personally heartbreaking, um, with regard to Smithtown, a town, uh, in Long Island in Suffolk County that the city council or whatever the, the, the township council has decided yeah, to, it was like the, the supervisory yeah, board has decided to ban pretty much any display of pride, any books, any, uh, you know, decorations or anything, uh, in all of their libraries. Um, and I think about, you know, how we have seen the 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 pushback against the idea of hope and change, the idea that we could mm-hmm. actually have a black president, the idea mm-hmm. that, you know, there could be queer people in in cabinet positions. Right. Uh, whether or not we love those people, it doesn't matter. It's the fact that you have a person that is trans that is out trans as a part of the Biden administration. You had people that were, you know, out and queer in the Obama administration. Um, you have a secretary of transportation that is a married gay man. Um, but now we see all of these targets, all of this violence. And I wonder, Andrew, what do you think, the, like, what are you hearing the response to this is going to be? Because we're being jammed back into the closet. We're being pushed into right. places that, you know, you know, again, I've been working in, in politics for a long time. I've only been a part of the upswing. I have never been a part of, you know, uh, of the regression. And so what are you hearing and what are you feeling now 
about the direction that that this country is headed in. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat where you say I've only been part of the upswing. Mm -hmm. And I think the upswing part of it is important because, you know, being born, I was born basically when Clinton was elected. Mm -hmm. There was like one month between my birth and Clinton's election. Um, So there was, you know, the 90s where it sort of, I feel like culturally, it was essentially a softened continuation of the Reagan era. I remember a lot of just dominant cultural conservatism at the time. There was Don't Ask, Don't Tell, which I was too young to recognize. But I feel like that Mm -hmm. was probably the prevailing attitude at the time. Mm -hmm. I have an uncle who is gay, and he could certainly speak more to this. I don't want to speak for him. But when I was a kid, I wasn't allowed to know that he was gay. My uncle Adam was his roommate. They were friends. Whatever they were, they weren't a couple. And me as a child, I I was asking, like, are they married? Are they boyfriends? Because that didn't matter to me. But my religious family, my religious suburban family was maintaining the lie to a child who was making it evident that he didn't care, that he wasn't passing judgment. Um, But that lie was being maintained. And then we enter the Bush years. uh, And I, you know, (laughs) want to talk about cultural conservatism. We were both there moving on. So then you get the Obama years. And Obama years were the rejection of that heightened cultural conservatism, in my Mm -hmm. opinion. And then you get that that real upswing, that big upswing um, where people can be out and proud and validated by their government and recognized by their government and start to be recognized by society at large. All that to say, with this changing tide, I think about people my age for sure, because we're not going to be shoved back in the closet, I don't think. I don't think most people my age are going to take to being shoved back in the closet. But I think about younger people who mm-hmm. just grow up in this is wider age of uh acceptance and just like the high school experience from what i understand i worked as a substitute about five years ago and there was a boy putting on his makeup in the detention room so this is like the hard kids and he's over putting on his makeup and like no one's saying anything and then the sub like asks about um or the aide whoever they asked him about like what kind of makeup he was using and he was in front of all these other like tough guys who were in detention for doing whatever tough shit they were doing And he's like, oh, I'm, you know, seeing my like cutie later or whatever, you know, not boyfriend, but like the guy he was talking to. And like, no, not even no slurs, which is what would have happened when I was in high school. Right. And, you know, and sometimes slurs were said and the teacher wasn't like, hey, don't say that. They were just said. Yep. So the generation younger is sure as shit not going to be pushed back in the closet. They you can't drag them kicking and screaming. So they're. You talk about this all the time. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a cultural war, and I don't think it's going to be passive. If if it gets to a point where, you know. Yeah, I just, I think that that is my, that's the place of worry that I find myself right now, is that. I don't think a lot of young people are so worried, and I'm going to say that too. I think they're, they're more ready than they are worried. What do you think that they are ready for? Um, I think. Because I know what the right is ready for, right? Sure. I know what their AR-15s and their, you know, the 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 white nationalist group, the 31 members that were just arrested in Idaho for, you know, uh, attempting a, a riot at, at a pride in Idaho. We know, you know, what happened with the Proud Boys rushing into a, uh, a drag queen, queen children's uh, story time. Um, so what do you believe that they are ready for? Well, I will say among just this is more general than Mm -hmm. 
queer communities and discourse that I've observed, I would say just generally among leftist millennials and younger people, uh, there is less emphasis on gun control and more thought being given to, I mean, today, right? We're recording this today. Yep. Uh, the Supreme Court has made a decision regarding, uh, I believe, open carry as well as concealed carry of firearms. And so it's if everyone around you and I hate to say it because mm -hmm. this is a move designed yep. at least partially to benefit gun manufacturers and put more money into their pockets at the same time, logically, if there is a very real possibility wherever you go in the United States of America and you are choosing to stay in the United States of America, that anyone around you at any time could have a firearm. What logically are you meant to do to defend yourself? That's all I'm and and when yep. it comes to younger people, I think they're like I said, there's a more of a rejection of the what's becoming an increasingly liberal and center left idea of gun control and more of this idea of, you know, feeling where the winds are going. And you're talking about like being prepared for what conservatives are doing. I think young people and certainly young leftists are more prepared for what the conservative political majority in this country, not the cultural majority, not the actual majority, but unfortunately, the conservative political majority, the people who maintain and use power in this country, some of whom are in the Democratic Party. If, if they're in control right now and the Democrats are saying we don't want to have control, we abstain from control. Yep. The, I see older people and, you know, even people like five, 10 years older than me still believing in the Democratic Party. I think there's a cutoff where that's no longer really there's faith not being put into that and certainly voting i mean i'm old like, and i'll <laughs> and i'll tell you that right I right have, that I and have, we see that too in the comments I'm on the show that. it's like i'm 70 years old and i'm woke as fuck now and it's you know it's funny i you know i i i was at the white house uh a week or so ago or two weeks ago at this point i don't know time is a construct uh and you know, I, I'm seeing Nancy Pelosi and I'm seeing, you know, Senator Baldwin and it was for, you know, the Pride event. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, it took everything in me, of course, like not to just do my, you know, nice hello and, you know, give Senator Baldwin a hug and like all of those things. And I am thinking to myself, do they not see, like, are they part of the don't look up, right? Like they mm. honestly believe that if they lose this cycle that they have an opportunity to come back stronger next time. Like Is they, that, they believe, like, yes, I just, I hear oh. it. I hear it in the way that they're like, we just need to keep on fighting and, you know, and blah, 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 blah. And we just need more people to vote. And it's the same recycled shit that I've heard for well over a decade plus. And I'm just like, do you not, see what these people are doing. Did you, are, are you not paying attention like at all? Like there's no sense of urgency. There's this belief that they're going to get another chance. And I think that young people to your point are just like, so we actually are aware, right? Of right. what these people are doing. They're telling us out loud, like we're going to have to protect ourselves. I mean, the other thing that the Supreme Court gutted evidently was your access to Miranda rights. Right. And the fact that you're oh, not going to be able to, yeah. to like if the cops don't issue you your Miranda rights, well, you're just fucked. Right. You're yeah. not going to be able to sue them. You're not going to be able to have any recourse in action. 
right? They're just going to be able to coerce you, beat you up, just do the shit that they, they've always been doing, essentially. But you're not going to have the, even, even the perception of legal recourse to take, right? So I'm like, you're setting up a situation that is a tinderbox. And I don't think the Democratic establishment, I know the Democratic establishment outside of like the Corey Bushes, the Eric Swalwells, the AOCs, you know, outside of those folks who are like, do you all see what the fuck is going on here? Um, I don't think they get it. Yeah. And to start talking about politics and and power building and coalition building, I think, unfortunately, the left wing in this country wasn't thinking about and focusing on power building both within the Democratic Party and without the Democratic Party until it was too late. Because I think you mentioned some names like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez mm-hmm. and Cory Bush, and those are um, new term yep. uh, members of the House. Mm-hmm. The This kind of building needed to be happening 20 years ago, yep. 30 years ago, after Jimmy Carter lost to Ronald Reagan. Um, it's it's easy to wag my finger as a young person, so I don't want to do that too but, much. But mm-hmm. I would even say, even if you wouldn't go back that far to Reagan, right? This should have been happening in 2000 after the Supreme Court decided the presidential election and not the people of this country. So that I'm going to say been... to the listeners, I didn't prep with my favorite soapbox. I didn't tell Danielle to bring up Bush v. Gore. <laughs> I'm like, anyone who's I'm listened just... for a long time, they know. My favorite soapbox. Yeah, I'm just like, if you want to talk about like that, a a bigger wake up call to me was 22 years ago. I think people were really placated by the Clinton years and by the Obama years, too, when I think about it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, I don't want to go full conspiratorial and be like, these presidents were plants designed to, you know, uh, make the masses docile and complacent, because I don't think that's the reality. But I think an unintended effect of the third way strategy that brought Bill Clinton into power was then this idea of, yeah, um, uh, oh, my God, the fact that history almost made me forget his name. Al Gore lost and Al Gore lost in a fully illegitimate way. Yeah. And looking historically, Democrats just kind of said, oh, well, we'll get him next time and didn't even fight it. And then on the ground, it's like there was leftist movements. I know there was the Battle of Seattle. So like leftists were doing something, but they just they weren't interested in building. I hate to separate like leftists from Democrats in this way, because I'm sure there was crossover. But like when you think about the grassroots leftists versus the establishment Democrats, the grassroots leftists were not thinking about building political power in a way that people were really awakened by in 2016 by the election of Donald Trump. The additionally illegitimate election of Donald Trump. But it took, to your point, it took that long, 16 years between illegitimate elections for people to go, maybe we should stop this from happening. Right. But even still, now that we've experienced 2000, experienced 2016, we're in 2022, headed into midterms, 2024. What Do you see any guardrails that were put in place to ensure that the 2024 presidential election, one, isn't going to be corrupt. And then two, that that president isn't going to be the last president that we have in these United States as an authoritarian, because absent indictments, absent accountability, all we have done as a nation is set up our demise. And I think that complacency is a great word because I, too, was complacent during the Obama years. I, too, believe that this was the beginning of that arc bending itself towards justice and that we were Mm -hmm. going to be on the bend side 
right? And that everything was just going to be about expansion from here. We're not even holding on to what the fuck was won 50 years ago. So it, it's, I, I think that, you know, I guess last question for you, Andrew, is what do you foresee? And I don't like to future cast, but I, I, mm-hmm. I, I really want to know, what do you foresee happening in the next couple of years in America? As a, as a, as a queer person living in this country, and I don't know if you, what your plans are, if you have plans to stay, you have plans not to, but what do you foresee happening? Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, I would love to stay. Um, I'm sort of, I mean, not to air my laundry too publicly, but it's a big state. I've been aiming moving to California, and now I'm looking at um, the election of Rick Caruso and being like, go Karen Bass, go Karen Bass. We should, we should try to have her on the show. <laughs> we should. <laughs> again, again. I like, yeah, it's true. I like Karen. Um, but, you know, beyond, it's like, when I think about things, I think about that. That's like a micro thing, right? But it's like, will this country keep just like sliding further and further to the right? And even these narrow electoral efforts to get leftists into office, are they going to continue to be opposed by people who favor the status quo? I hate to go back, but I ultimately, I never said, I never fully responded to you talking about, you know, don't look up and Democrats. Mm -hmm. I don't think Democrats live in the real world. I think the tools that younger people have, um, you know, the younger you go, the more people have grown up with technology and the more people mm-hmm. know how to use those younger people know how to use technology more adeptly and not only how to use that technology, but how to avoid disinformation. We talked about Tumblr and there's TikTok now as well. It's not like disinformation isn't out there and young people don't buy into it, but it's not so much on the scale of like, here is the dumbest clickbait Facebook article in the world that your 65 year old parent is going to fall for because they just don't have the tools whether in their mind or just like, you know, practically in their internet browsing to filter what is true and what is not, because they grew up in a time where if information was being given to you by what you perceive as a reputable source, then you will receive it. And to connect that to Democrats, I don't think Democrats use, like, Democrats aren't tooled into their constituency in a large sense, is the sense I get. And so when there are people on the ground uh, yelling fire, yelling wolf, and there's actually like, Democrats, I feel, are the ones to bring in that analogy. And Democrats are actually the ones who feel I feel cry wolf. I feel like a lot of people have grown up with like, this is the most important election ever. This time we really got it. So if that's really what happens in 2022, it's you've been saying that to us. I don't know, at least since Obama's second election, probably beforehand. No, they said it for Obama's because McCain was horrible. That was true. But it's like if every election is the most important that that loses. But now we're the ones saying, no, look, there's wolves, there's fascists, there's white supremacists, there's all these things. And Democrats are shaking their hands with them. And they're going, my friend across the aisle, you point this out all the time. And it's just like, I think their class blinds them from Mm. what is really going on in the world. Because in terms of class, they are fully aligned with Republicans. And I worry about how that will affect our younger crop in the long run, but I want to be optimistic. And speaking of a long run, neither of us know whether there actually will be a long run. Will Ocasio-Cortez actually even get to be the age where even theoretically she could run for president of the United States and there still be a United States government? When I look at the next few years, I'll say publicly that I spoke to you and a recording engineer last summer and I said that the Democrats were not going to win these midterm elections. That I think was in June 2021. Mm -hmm. I think it's, you know, now it's June 2022. I think it is increasingly evident. And if you're saying that's the mood on the Hill, that means they've accepted loss. They've accepted defeat and they've decided they're not going to fight. I'm I legitimately feel like I'm about to cry because it's like 
in, in terms of government, we don't have recourse. We don't, we being the left wing and we yep. being the people do not have the recourse to fight if Republicans are saying we want to dismantle, if Republicans and the conservative right are saying we want to dismantle everything and Democrats are saying we'll get them next time. You're not, you're, you're absolutely right. I agree with you. There is not going to be a next, a next time. time. And I can't read the tea leaves. I can't say what that will look like. I do think it's not going to be pretty. I sometimes think of Joe Biden as James Buchanan. And what came after James Buchanan was very, very, very unpretty. And I think yeah. the only one more crossover between both is that after James Buchanan, there will be a Republican, but they will be two very different Republicans. And what will that mean for America? Yeah. Oh, God, I, I wanted to end on a on a high note, but that is not going to be it. That's not going to be today. <laughs> I don't that think a lot of not... certainly not people younger than me. I don't think there's a lot of optimism for the immediate future. And I mean, we didn't even talk about the climate, which Democrats no. also don't want to do anything about. So is there going to be, uh, you know, how much of the United States is there going to be left gonna to fight be a civil left, war right. on? So it's like either we're going down, we're going down with the civil war, we're going down with climate change. We're going down. I think that whatever is, whatever comes after the fall uh, of everything um, is going to be a considerable dark period that mm. I don't know if we, I don't know if there will be light that we will see, right? Like I, you know, I think that we're talking about generational loss and I don't mm -hmm. think that the majority of America understands really what that means. Um, I, yeah. Do you want to end on a positive note? Please. I, I can say one thing. Say that one there thing is, that's positive. There is some optimism in my heart. If we fight for a better future, a better future is possible, but we have to fight. I said, had we started fighting 30, 50 years ago, it would be an easier fight. But if we start fighting now, we will have to fight very hard and we can fight for a better future and we can fight back. But we have to fight. And fighting doesn't just mean voting every two or four years. We have to fight. It's true. Andrew, it is wonderful to have you on this side of the microphone. Um, appreciate you and your five years plus of work with me and on this show. But honestly, it's been great, great, great conversation. And, you know, we'll have to continue it. Um, but we thank you for we the We will. <laughs> Appreciate you. Hey there. I want to tell you about another podcast I think you'll love. The Brown Girl's Guide to Politics hosted by Ashanti Goler, the president of Emerge. BGG is the one-stop shop for women of color who want to hear and talk about the world of politics. Join Ashanti this season as she talks to incredible women of color who are changing the face of politics and tackling some of the most important issues facing the United States. From reproductive justice to voting rights to climate change and more. Tune in every Tuesday wherever you get your podcasts. Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ricci is one of the latest shows on the TYT network and also the fastest growing news show in America. On his show, Dr. Ricci plays no games regarding policy, delivering a heavy dose of fact-based truth and penetrating analysis on all the top news stories focusing on racism, criminal and social justice, politics, police brutality, Karens, and much more. Listeners can also expect interviews with fascinating guests, political leaders, commentators, and even fiery debates with conservatives on a wide range of policy topics in the bullpen. 
It is an indisputable fact that you will love this show. Listen to Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ricci on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe so you never miss a new episode. That is it for me today, dear friends on Woke AF. As always, power to the people and to all the people power. Get woke and stay woke as fuck. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.